Once again, as Pastor Josh mentioned, welcome to Four Oaks Community Church. I'm Paul Gilbert. I'm the lead pastor. We are so happy, excited that you decided to spend this Christmas Eve with us. You know, one of the things that I love most about this season is hearing all of the stories about you and your generosity. There's, there's always something, some kind of cool piece of news filtering up to the office about the way some of you or one of your families or a group of families has gone together just to, to bless someone in our city or community. So I heard a story this week. Someone in this church met a worker um, out somewhere here in Tallahassee as they were shopping, and this worker, he just began to sort of unload his life on this person. You ever been there when somebody has done that? And, and, and just sharing about his, his not just his, his financial poverty, but about the need in his family and about him caring for not only his kids, but his grandchildren as well, and just all these spiritual pressures and financial pressures that were on him. And he said something interesting. He said, you know, I know God is there and I know he loves me. It's just sometimes I don't know if I can keep going. And you know, that, that, was, a, a, that was a gospel moment, a mission moment that, that God gave to one of you and just to see how you begin to mobilize people around you and how some of you were giving gift cards and taking up a collection and, and being the arms and legs of Christ and seeing how the people of, of Four Oaks were being marshaled toward this specific need. And, and just, just all kinds of cool stories like that one. Others we don't have time to tell. And we have to ask this question and, and I really want you to ponder it, particularly if, if you're new here or you're not used to this sort of thing. We have to ask, what would compel people to do something like that? What would compel people to, to marshal their resources and to give hard-earned dollars towards something like that, something that's, that doesn't impact them, that's of no particular seemingly benefit to them? What, what, would, what would motivate someone to do that? And let me say this about this person. It wasn't about what they thought they were doing for God. It was what they believed that God had done for them. That God had sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. That he had sent his son into this world to, to be on a mission to die for us. And God united this person's heart to that mission of the gospel, the good news. And, and, and that's why we're about to do, that's why we're doing what we're about to do here, which is we're taking an offering this evening. And, and, and the reason we take an offering, the reason we worship God in this way, that, and I really pray this for us tonight, Four Oaks, that as you're giving, that, that you would remember that this is a picture of the good news. That just as Jesus Christ came to earth, he became obedient to death. He made himself nothing. He was a servant. He died for us. In the same way, we follow our master. We follow our Lord. And we say, God, by your grace, I give this. Not, not so I can earn your grace, but because you've been gracious to me through Jesus. And I want others to know about that same grace. If you're new here tonight, guests, visiting out of town, you need to know that is the simple reason why we exist as a church family. Jesus Christ. 
we, we believe he is worth leveraging everything in life towards. So as our, ask our ushers to come forward here to take that offering. Let's pray that God would use these monies to stir people's hearts to know him in a new way. Lord Jesus, as we take this offering, we, we know this is not tit for tat. We know this is not give to get or give to earn. No, no, Lord. This is a, a, a grace that we've been able to enjoy because of your grace to us in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we, we, we look around Tallahassee. Lord, there are so many needs, physical, yes, but spiritually most of all. Thank you for the way you have really jump-started the hearts of many here in the Four Oaks family to bless others this Christmas season. I thank you for that, that worker. I thank you for that Four Oaks member who was talking to him. Lord, I pray you would do a work of grace in his life. I pray you would do a work of grace with the gospel. It would not simply be about a humanitarian mission, but it would be about a gospel mission that, that through the generosity of the people of Four Oaks, this person would come to know you. This person would come to, to see that, that in you is life, abundant life. Lord, we need to pray the same thing for us as we gather here, as we open your word for the next few minutes. Stir our hearts to know you better. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As those baskets are making their way around, I invite you to turn to John chapter 17. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we anticipated that. And so we're going to flash the text up on the screen for you. But if you are someone who, who's a guest, um, new, you, you don't have a Bible, we would invite you to, to take one of the Bibles that you'll find in the chair. Make sure it's, it's one of the church's Bible and not like your neighbor's Bible, okay? I go all the way, your neighbor, I guess, wouldn't mind you taking their Bible either, okay? But we would love for you to have a Bible. That is a, our gift to you. Let me ask you a question. As you come in here tonight, what is, what is your favorite Christmas memory? Now, understand, I don't ask if you have one, right? Because we all do. We, we all have that special moment or that person or that event or that season that we just, we just longingly desire to freeze in time, to just, to just go back to that time if we could. Someone asked me that question, what's your favorite Christmas memory? It was, it was a season. We, Susan and I were first married. I was a seminary student, and she was a teacher in Jackson, Mississippi, which means we magically had three weeks of free time every December, okay? It was just magic, wasn't it, babe? It was magical, right? And so we would go to Jackson, Tennessee every Christmas, the hometown of my lovely wife, Susan. It was what I would kind of call the magic kingdom of Christmas destinations, okay? First of all, there were no kids. And, and, and all the kids in here, let me just say something. Your parents love you, but it was a different time before you came, okay? Trust me. There was no kids, we slept late. There was no responsibilities to, to speak of. Going around Davis Kid Bookstore, reading Tom Clancy novels from cover to cover. Okay? My brother-in-law, Blake Ward, and I organizing that year's Nerf Ping Pong Tournament. That's worthy of another sermon. All right? It was the ultimate escape. It was the ultimate retreat. It was the ultimate opportunity to sort of forget everything that was going on out there. You know, there's, there's a certain inertia or a certain impulse about this time of year. 
this Christmas season. And Pastor Dave spoke about it last week, this, this desire to pull in, to retreat, to withdraw, to go home, wherever home is, to be reunited, to, to be safe, to kind of hunker down in some secure place. That's what Christmas represents for many of us. Now, let me say something, okay? Because you, you can anticipate a but coming, right? Okay, let me say something. I am not a hater, okay? I am not a Christmas hater. I think so much of that impulse is so good because I believe it reflects an ache in our hearts, a hole in our hearts that every single one of us has a yearning for rest. Not, not just temporary rest, but, but home, eternal rest, um, presence with God, joy in his presence. And so, and so that is good. And that is an impulse we need to tap and understand our hearts better with. Yet as I've been thinking the past few weeks about that impulse to be safe, to be at home, and how we've attached that to the Christmas season, I can't help but think there's something just a little incongruous with that, with the impulse of the incarnation. Because when we consider the coming of Jesus Christ, it was anything but those things I just described. That God, in his holy dwelling, safe, secure, eternal joy, glory, equality with the Father, he put aside those things, those, those, those heavenly claims. He was still God, but he put aside those claims. He became flesh. He came into a broken world full of broken people. And he was groomed from the day he was born to do one thing. You know what that one thing was? To die. To die for you and for me. I think that incarnational impulse is striking when we think about how this season has come to be represented for many of us. And as we've been talking about these past few Sundays here on Sunday mornings at Four Oaks, that was God's mission from the get-go. That was not an accident. Hey, Jesus' death was not an accident. God, as the sender, sent his son on a mission. Jesus knew why he had came, why he had come. He, he, he knew from the get-go what he was all about. That was to be about his father's business as the sent one. Now, what I want us to just consider for a few minutes that we have together is what does that mission mean for us? right here, right now, today. John 17. We're just going to look at a few verses. Jesus is praying for his disciples, and by extension, us. And he's giving us and them a category for how to think about this desire for us to go home, this desire for us to retreat, this desire for us to be safe, how we are to think about our relationship to the world until Jesus comes back. How are we to, how, how is the mission of Christ to land and rest on us as the sent people of God? Let's look at John 17. Jesus says, I have given them your word. He's talking about the disciples and extension us. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Now listen to this. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Jesus says a pretty interesting thing about the disciples. And if you're someone who claims the name of Christ, he says something pretty amazing about you as well. He says in verse 16, they are not of the world. You are not of the world. Jesus says, even as I am not of the world. Now, when we see that word of the world, don't think primarily geographically. So in other words, when you go exit here soon and sit around that table for Christmas dinner, it's easy to think I'm not of the world. But when I, when I go to work or when I go to school or I'm on campus or I'm out at the mall shopping, that, that, I'm in the world. That, that's what it means to be in the world or not of the world. Because being in the world doesn't mean that you have necessarily been spending too much time at AMC theaters this holiday season, okay? Although, judging by the number of times I've run into some of you out there, you're probably spending too much time there, okay? Trust me. Of the world is not about where we are. Of the world is about who we are. Who or what holds your loyalty? Who or what holds your allegiance? What values lay claim to your heart? What values shape your thinking? What Jesus is pointing us to in this text is that there are ultimately two and only two value systems, two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, which exalts Christ as its supreme value. And there's the kingdom of the evil one that exalts self and man as the supreme values. And, and Jesus says one of these will reign predominantly in your life and only one. See, of the world is just another way of talking about worldliness. And see, worldliness happens when we soak up the values, the systems of thought, the attitudes, the heart that are antithetical to the ways of God. And by the way, worldliness can happen just as easily by the fireplace tonight with your family as it can shopping at the mall on Christmas Eve. See, worldliness, and Jesus recognizes this, is a dangerous thing. And I don't mean dangerous physically, I, although it is that. Luther said, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. But, the, but worldliness, real danger, lies in its seduction to pull us away from the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus says, I pray for them. You know, Susan and I are really trying to wrestle with this as parents, and maybe some of you as parents can, uh, can identify. We have birthed four children, and by we, I mean she has birthed four children. All of them born and raised here at Four Oaks. First one, Grace, 1999, and many of you have journeyed with us through that season in our lives, and now she's getting ready to go off to, to college, and yes, that does tell you exactly how old you are. You're as old as you feel, and I feel old, okay? 
And, and we've been strategizing. How do we maximize this time? How do we pull in and protect and capture these last years when our children are at home? How do we invest in them? How do we, how do we pray for them? How do, we, how, do we, how do we protect them from what is to come? Yet we have to wrestle with, how does God, Jesus, call us to pray? Families, how does he call us to pray for our children? How does he, how does he call us to pray as a church family? And, and this is hard because we want to pray like Jesus. But look at verses 15 and 18 and listen to how Jesus prays. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. In other words, Jesus prays something for you and me, just as he did his disciples. He says, Lord, don't remove them from those hard places. Don't, don't, don't remove them from the messiness and the brokenness that's out there. Just protect them as they wade neck deep into it. Father, I, I'm going into the teeth of the lion to die. And, and, and I'm asking that as I send my people out to do the same, that you would protect them. You may say, Pastor Paul, that, that's, that's, that sounds dangerous. That sounds risky. If, if we get out there, if our family get out, gets out there, our, our kids might be mistreated. They, we might be contaminated by sin. If we invite people over from our neighborhood who bring their kids who don't know you, they could be worldly, and that's dangerous. And, and this, is, this is treacherous ground to which Jesus, if he were here, would say, yes. Yes, it is. That's why I'm praying for you. That's why we're praying for each other. Yes, yes, it's dangerous, for Oaks, but that's the gospel. That's the mission of Jesus Christ. Verse 19, Jesus says, I have been consecrated. It's a fancy religious word that just simply means I've been set apart to do a work. I've been set apart for a purpose. I've been set apart for a mission, and it's not to withdraw from the world. But it's to come and it's to enter the world for the sake of that world. In the same way, what does this mean for us? Jesus says, you and I, if you are a follower of Christ, that we are sanctified. Same word, it just simply means you and I are set apart. And that we are on mission and imitating cross, not, not by retreating, not by hunkering down, not by fearing the world, but by going forth. As Jesus went forth into the mess, we leave here tonight for I was called to go into the mess. You know, this, this desire to communicate this, this gospel impulse is, is behind these mission possible kits that many of you have been doing here. And that's been pretty cool to see many of our families going, visiting hospital wards and going to nursing homes and homeless shelters and visiting neighbors. I know that a bunch of, our, bunch of the kids of the, of the church went and sang at Allegro across the street at the assisted living facility. 
There were more singers than residents. I think we scared them half to death, okay? But as we're doing all those things, remember something. We're not just going around doing good to make ourselves feel better. This is not about a merely humanitarian mission that Jesus calls to. Yes, as God gives us resources, we feed and clothe those who desperately need it, like that worker here in town. But the ultimate mission, church, is to attach yourself to the mission of Christ, who left his home to go on the ultimate mission to die for us, to to, to lay his life down, to give himself as a ransom for many. And following Jesus means we are pursuing mission every day of our lives. Every day is Christmas in the life of the believer. You see, in essence, this passage goes full circle in telling telling us what, what this time is really all about this season. And here it is. If you don't remember anything else that we say, grab hold of this, and here it is. Jesus came into the world. Jesus came into the world. Just stop and think about that. He came into our world. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? It wasn't to appease his conscience. It wasn't to put a Band-Aid on our problems and our sin. He came into the world to save us from the world. If Jesus were here merely to make the world a better place, he wouldn't have to die. He could have done all of his good works and said all of his clever things without dying. But he had to die to make a way for you and I to know the God of the universe. Jesus came into the world to save us from the world. And and, and here's the piece for you as a follower of Christ. To send us back into the world. It sounds oxymoronic, but but it's, it's totally true. Jesus saves you from the world to send you back into the world to serve the world with the truth of the gospel. Poor Oaks, my prayer for you this Christmas season is that you would see that you have a new identity. Just as God is the sender and Jesus is the sent one, we as his people are the sent. That that. Paul says it's as if Jesus Christ were making his plea through us. We are the arms and legs of the body of Christ. And Jesus would tell us, is telling us, just as I have gone into the world, here's my mission for you, Four Oaks, you go and do likewise. You know, we, have, we always end the Christmas Eve service here with candles and, and silent night. And I suggested in a staff meeting some months ago that maybe we ought to do something different. And they thought I had suggested we end this evening with a satanic ritual, okay? Because lighting of the candles and singing Silent Night, that's, that's the third sacrament right up next to baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? So no fears, okay? We are lighting those candles. However, we are going to sing something different. 
you can sing Silent Night in your car on the way home, okay? It's okay. See, oftentimes when we light the candles and sing Silent Night, we think it's to be sentimental and to retreat from the world, to go home, to be safe, to claim our, to claim our, our little place of, of security and safety. Missing the point. Brooks, the reason we light candle, candles is to symbolize our going forward into darkness with the light of Christ. And like any light, it will attract the good and the bad. Make no mistake. When you shine your light, people will be drawn to it one way or the other. That's okay. Because we are heralds living out and proclaiming the truth of the good news. So as our, as our worship team comes back up, I'm going to invite our pastoral team to, to come up here and help me. We're going, to, we're going to light these candles. And as you begin passing this flame around, I want us to consider anew the lyrics to a song that we have sung, you've probably sung many times, hundreds of times. Hark the herald, angels sing. Let me just make a couple of comments. I heard a loud exclamation of yes over there. So I, I, they voted for Hark the Herald, okay? Listen, listen to this for a second. And think about these words in light of John 17. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. This is what we do. We hail. We proclaim. We lift up. And was it that we proclaim? Here it is. That Jesus was born to raise the sons of earth. That he was born to give second birth. And this is who we are. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. We are a herald's. And what heralds do is they go into the world and they proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our mission as the people of God. As you're enjoying your eggnog tonight, as you're setting out the presence, as you're enjoying your, your family, as you're making a fire, if you dare, in this weather, remember who you and I fundamentally are. We are the people of God following Jesus who was sent into the world and we are to go and do likewise. I invite you to stand as we sing this together.